got a question for you guys this morning, uh, or a question I'll pose in several different ways. Uh, what is your risk tolerance? How do you feel about taking risks? Uh, are you risk averse? Um, do you engage in risky behavior? Um, have you ever been at risk? I don't know about you guys, I have had to think a lot about risk over the last 18 months. Um, who's at risk in our community? How do we protect those who are at risk? Um, how risky is it to stay on campus, come back to campus, institute a mask mandate, drop a mask mandate, have classes with no distancing, sing in chapel, have fans at games, have commencement ceremony, have convocation, etc. The list could go on. Um, it struck me early in the pandemic that I haven't thought this much about risk. Uh, since my early career as a foreign currency trader in Chicago where I was consistently thinking about how risky uh, given trades were, how, how much risk exposure I could tolerate. Uh, some of my trades were, were low risk. Um, they had an almost 100% chance of being successful. Uh, many of my trades were moderately risky. Uh, they had a decent chance of turning out well, but also a chance of not turning out so well. And some of my trades, not many, but some um, were high risk. Uh, that is, they didn't seem to have much of a chance of success. But, interestingly enough, it was those trades, the ones, hey, hold on a second. Okay, that's better, all right. All right, so some of my trades were high risk. It was the high risk trades that had the greatest potential uh, for significant reward or return. Um, and you guys probably know that phrase, right? No risk, no reward. Uh, it captures the reality that in trading or investing or in many other areas of life, um, you have to take some risk in order to reap a reward or to make some gains. Uh, many cultural observers have noted that 21st century Americans are increasingly risk averse. Um, people seem to be much more concerned today with being safe than has been the case in preceding generations, uh, preceding periods in the history of the United States of America. Um, and if you think about it, this country was founded by uh, risk takers. Whatever you think of the Europeans who sailed across the Atlantic Ocean in dinky little wooden sailing ships with no GPS, no Wi-Fi, no cell signal, no plumbing, no electricity, um, they were not risk averse. How do, how do I advance slides? Do I just tell you? That, so you can go downtown right now. That's a, that's a, a replica of the Pinta, one of Columbus's ships that's docked uh, on the Tennessee River um, down downtown Chattanooga. It's not a big ship, I can't imagine. Uh, going across the Atlantic Ocean. Um, the folks who came across the ocean in boats like that were not afraid of taking chances. The same is true of the folks who uh, were bold enough to revolt against their colonial overlords, uh, one of the most powerful empires in Europe in the 18th century. Um, those who were bold enough to establish a democratic republic, which was a sharp divergence from accepted forms of government in the 18th century. Our country was founded by risk takers. Um, and there are complex reasons why uh, those folks exhibited the risk tolerance that they did. Uh, some of those reasons are theological. I won't get into those right now. Suffice it to say that things have begun to look different in the 21st century. Um, the country's become less adventuresome, um, less pioneering in the course of recent years. 
Um, and you can see this trend in a number of different areas. Next slide. Um, there has been a notable decline in business starts, uh, business startups. Um, the number of companies that are less than a year old has declined as a share of overall number of companies in the country or an overall number of businesses by 44 percent between 1978 and 2012. Um, the boomers were big business starters, present generations not so much. Americans move less now uh, probably than they ever had. Um, in 2019, Americans moved at the lowest rate since the Census Bureau began tracking that statistic. In the 1950s, roughly one-fifth or 20% of Americans moved every year. Uh, in 2019, uh, we were down to 9.8%, the lowest since the Census Bureau started tracking that data in 1947. Um, this is perhaps the most significant indicator that Americans are worried about the future and uh, the risks that come with it. Americans are having fewer babies. Uh, for every 1,000 women of childbearing age, that's ages 15 to 44, the way they do the statistics, uh, fewer than 56% gave birth in 2020, um, compared to almost 70% in 2007. So that's a 20% 20, 20 decline. Um, the fertility rate in the U.S., birth rates per woman, has dropped from 2.12 in 2007, which is just over the 2.1 uh, replacement rate, um, down to 1.64 in 2020. Um, younger cohorts of women are having fewer children um, at every stage along uh, the lifespan. Uh, and there are multiple contributing factors um, behind these trends. Uh, fewer business startups, fewer people moving, fewer people having babies. Uh, but they all point to a growing risk aversion in American uh, culture. And that trend is particularly evident um, in your generation. Uh, now, I will say up front, this is a generalization, so this doesn't necessarily apply to each of you individually. Um, but generally, your generation, uh, what sociologists would call Gen Z or uh, iGen, if you like Gene Twenge's uh, book on the subject, those of you who were born between 1995 and 2012, um, you were born uh, after the dawn of the commercial internet, um, smartphones, uh, were introduced early in your adolescence. Uh, you know, the iPhone uh, was introduced in 2007, the iPad in 2010. Um, and in her book, uh, sociologist Jean Twenge, who's out at San Diego State University, book entitled iGen, uh, lays out 10 different characteristics of this, this generation of folks born between 1995 and 2012. It's worth checking out if you're interested in knowing what's going on in the world around you. And among other things, she shows uh, that it's a generation that is very concerned about being safe, um, a generation that is risk averse. And that's reflected in language and the frequency of how often you see the term safety uh, mentioned. Um, also reflected in, in behaviors. Um, there is less binge drinking, uh, fewer traffic tickets, fewer car accidents, fewer fights. Those all seem like really good things, don't they? Um, people delaying getting their driver's license. Anyone in here maybe later than your parents might have done? Uh, Fewer people going on dates, fewer people going out in general, um, etc. All the research points to uh, a decline in an interest in taking chances or taking risks. Um, and broadly speaking, uh, 
your generation is one that's not just concerned with physical safety. It's also a generation that's more concerned than prior generations about um, emotional safety. Uh, Twangy's research shows that your peers are particularly interested in avoiding bad experiences, uncomfortable situations, uh, people with different ideas. Um, Twangy writes that, quote, this is a fascinating, perhaps distinctively iGen idea that the world is an inherently dangerous place because every social interaction carries the risk of being hurt. You never know what someone is going to say and there's no way to protect yourself from it. Um, and she points out this is ironic because generally people overcome fears by confronting them, not by hiding from them. Um, so folks of your generation tend to be risk averse, uh, even in conversation. Uh, Sherry Turkle, who's a psychologist at MIT, uh, points out in her book, Reclaiming Conversation, that, co that college students um, report a distinct preference for online communication, um, whether that's text or social media. Um, for, the, for the students she surveys in her book, um, digital conversations are valuable because they are, quote, low risk. Um, and why is that so? Well, it's because when you're communicating online or digitally, um, you have the opportunity to edit your messages before you send them. Um, and that way you can be sure you get it right. Uh, never mind that you're doing so via a medium that tends to be emotionally flat, um, that lacks all the texture and nuance you get from tone of voice, from unmediated facial expressions, from body language, and, and the subtle messages you get in a real time, in the flesh, face-to-face -face interaction with another human being. Um, the digital conversation is safe. Um, and why? Well, it's because if you're in one of those real embodied conversations, you don't have the same sort of control over what's happening. Um, things might go in an unexpected direction. Uh, you might say something that's not quite right. Um, you might offend someone. Someone might offend you. Uh, you might be misinterpreted or you might misinterpret someone else um, in real time, in the presence of the person you're talking to. Um, your imperfections might be exposed. Well, folks who study these things ask, you know, why is this happening? What's, what's led to this state of affairs? What's causing this shift in perspective on risk? Um, and there are a lot of contributing factors. Uh, you guys are a generation that has essentially grown up post 9-11, which generated a lot more concern, um, not only in your generation, but also older generations about physical safety. Um, we certainly felt that even here in Chattanooga, where in 2015, um, there was a terrorist attack. You're also a generation that's come of age post-Great Recession, which created greater economic uncertainty and fears about economic security. Um, you're a generation that's grown up with a 24-hour news cycle. Um, CNN was founded in 1980. Um, it really exploded onto the scene in 1991, before you were born. And um, nonstop news creates an exaggerated sense of the dangers that exist in the world. And all that, and here's where Maybe I'll point some fingers at myself. Um, all that has impacted the way your parents have raised you or raised your peers. Um, so here's just an interesting example. Uh, in 1969, 89% of children who lived within a mile of their school either walked or rode their bike to school. So 9 in 10 students who lived within a mile of school rode or walked to school. By 2009... 40 years later, only 35% do, do. Parents don't let their kids walk to school, don't let their kids ride their bikes to school. Um, this trend is perhaps best illustrated by a series of three images, which uh, Jonathan Haidt, who is a social psychologist at NYU, likes to use in his presentation, so I'm borrowing from him. 
Um, he's written a number of good books. Uh, one of those uh, is The Coddling of the American Mind, which I highly recommend. So if we can get to the next slide. Height says, hey, here's a picture of a playground from the late 19th century. That is perhaps too dangerous. All right, can we go to the next slide? So here's a playground in the middle of the 20th century. I mean, someone could still fall and get hurt, right? But they're probably going to break a wrist, sprain an ankle, not break their neck or their back. All right, can we go to the next slide? That's the playground that most of you grew up with, right? Not much chance of you getting hurt. Go to the next slide. I don't want you guys to be distracted by playground pictures. Uh, The pandemic has only heightened our uh, concerns about safety. Um, And I'm not suggesting that we haven't needed to take extra precautions in a time with the rapid spread of a novel virus with unknown consequences, um, I think that doing so in this situation is prudent, and obviously we've done just that. Uh, But as Purdue President Mitch Daniels uh, stated in his commencement address this last May um, at Purdue University, uh, the biggest risk of all is that we stop taking risks at all. For all of the concern that um, folks like Mitch Daniels and other cultural commentators have uh, and have expressed regarding the current generation of college students, I want you all to know that I am hopeful and optimistic, um, in particular, about you. And here's why. Uh, While your generation in general may be afflicted with a tendency toward safety, um, toward risk aversion, which again, and not all of that is bad, um, you all know a different story, uh, a true story, a story that most in our society do not know and have not come to embrace. Um, That story is the reality of a sovereign God who created everything that is, um, who loves the world he created so deeply that when sin entered into the world by our first father, Adam, when the world was broken, um, God made a way to redeem it um, by giving himself in order that he might reconcile all things to himself, making all things new, rescuing us and restoring the world to the way it ought to be. And embedded in that story, Uh, that we know there are truths, uh, timeless, eternal truths, rock-solid realities that can and should uh, provide you with the confidence, um, the security that you need to accept some risk, um, to take some chances. To take, for example, the reality of God's sovereignty. Um, The Bible tells us in the book of Genesis that God created everything that exists out of nothing, ex nihilo, if you want the Latin, um, simply by speaking. Um, And God said, let there be light. And there was light. Um, Or as Paul tells us in Colossians 1, uh, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him all things hold together. Uh, Throughout scripture we are reminded that this God who created everything also rules over everything. Um, God himself reminds us of this uh, via the prophet Isaiah uh, when he says, I form light and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. 
shower, O heavens, from above, and let the clouds rain down righteousness. Let, righteousness. let the earth open that salvation and righteousness may, be, may bear fruit. Let the earth cause them both to sprout. I, the Lord, have created it. Woe to him who strives with him who formed him, a pot among earthen pots. Does the clay say to him who forms it, what are you making? Or your work has no handles. And Jesus reminds us of this when he says in Matthew 10, um, are not two sparrows sold for a penny and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. Um, God's sovereignty over the world is made manifest through his providence. And one of the most beautiful definitions of providence that I know is found in the Heidelberg Catechism, uh, where question 27 asks, what do you understand by the providence of God? And the answer is, God's providence is his almighty and ever-present power, whereby, as with his hand, he still upholds heaven and earth and all creatures, and so governs them that leaf and blade, rain and drought, fruitful and barren years, food and drink, health and sickness, riches and poverty, indeed all things come to us not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. And the very next question in the Heidelberg Catechism is, what does it benefit us to know that God has created all things and still upholds them by his providence? And the answer is, we can be patient in adversity, thankful in prosperity, and with a view to the future, we can have a firm confidence in our faithful God and Father that no creature shall separate us from his love. For all creatures are so completely in his hand that without his will, they cannot so much as move. And there in that second question from the Heidelberg Catechism is the second doctrine, the second truth. I already mentioned sovereignty. Um, the second reality that can provide us with confidence and security in the age of anxiety. Um, not only is God sovereign, but he loves us. In fact, he loves us so much that he gave his own son for us. To die for us, um, to reconcile us to him, to reconcile all things to himself. Um, he loves us, he chose us, he gave his son for us, um, and he is orchestrating all things, even difficulties and challenges and failures uh, to our benefit. Paul tells us in Romans 8, 28, a very familiar passage for all of you, I know, that we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purposes. Um, and if you need to be reminded of that love, uh, you need look no further than, um, nowhere else than the cross. Uh, it is, when you stop to think about it, stunning. Truly stunning uh, to think, to realize, to comprehend that the God of the universe would give himself so generously for our sake. Uh, the God of the universe um, crucified for you and for me. Um, and his love never fails. Um, it is even stronger than Lily, Putter, Lily Potter's love for Harry. Um, and that's a, probably a good analogy, right? Uh, the risks that Harry Potter in the Harry Potter series uh, can and does take because of his mother's love for him. Uh, because of the truth of God's sovereignty and love, because of those realities, uh, you can, with confidence, um, do things that might be deemed risky. Now, I am not suggesting... Uh, nor would Dean Voiles want me to suggest uh, that you should engage in, to use an archaic term, foolhardy activities. Um, foolhardy means recklessly bold or rash, foolishly adventurous or daring, 
taking unnecessary risks. Um, I would encourage you to avoid the sorts of behaviors that end up on YouTube or TikTok and are preceded by those infamous five words, hold my beer, watch this. Yeah, don't do those things. Um, I am encouraging you to take calculated risks, uh, considered risks, to be bold and enterprising. Um, You know who you are. You belong to Christ. You are his. Um, You've been united to him by his spirit. He lives in you. You are a member of his body, the church, against which not even the gates of hell can stand. Um, Yes, we all suffer from the impact of sin, um, our own sin and that in the world around us. Nevertheless, we have been made new. Uh, We rest secure in the love of the triune God, um, and our future is secure. I know some of you have taken risks just to be here, um, to travel from halfway around the globe to a campus uh, that you had never set foot on before. Others took risks uh, by not going to the socially obvious obvious college choice, um, the place where everyone else was going and that everyone else had heard of. Um, Given the security that we have in Christ, Given that our identity as those, we have an identity as those who are loved by the Father and are joint heirs with Christ, uh, should we not be bold enough to take considered risks? Um, Isn't our future secure regardless of bumps or challenges or setbacks um, or even failures we might encounter? Um, I want to encourage you today to be confident, um, to rest in your identity in Christ And in light of that confidence, um, to be willing to take some risks, uh, perhaps even to practice taking risks. Um, I'll say it again, not unnecessary risks. Uh, Dean Voiles and I will be happy if you choose not to dance on the edge of the bluff um, or do other stuff like that. Uh, Don't be foolhardy. But I want you to uh, think about taking some considered risks, Um, perhaps risky clothing choices. To, uh, to riff on Professor Turkle, who I quoted a moment ago, um, perhaps engaging in a real-time face-to-face conversation on those occasions when it might be tempting um, to hide behind the presumed security of sending a digital message. Uh, perhaps having a conversation with some si- someone outside of your regular circle of friends. Um, I'm not saying you need to hunt down strangers and pester them, though you can do that if you want. Uh, but how about, how about talking to someone in one of your classes um, who you don't cross paths with elsewhere. It's a little risky, um, but it's a good risk to take. How about reading something outside of your comfort zone, Um, something that's not required reading? Maybe poetry, a novel, a serious book of cultural analysis like one of the ones I mentioned already. Um, How about taking a hard class? Um, that will stretch you, perhaps a class that's outside of the core or of your major, a class that isn't practical. Um, how about asking someone to marry you? Con- Congratulations, Mac and Rebecca. When the time comes, how about taking a job in a different part of the country, enrolling in a graduate program that might seem intimidating, 
uh, taking a job that might feel like it's just a little too much, uh, moving into a neighborhood where you're in the minority, um, getting involved in a church plant, moving to another country. Uh, one of the great joys of my work here at Covenant is that I get to see what Covenant alums are doing around the world. I have bumped into Covenant alumni in China, Indonesia, India, Turkey, Azerbaijan, even Canada. <laughs> I spent time with Joel Bells, uh, who founded World Magazine, um, with Joan and Randy Neighbors, who planted the PCA's first multi-ethnic church, New City Fellowship, right here in Chattanooga in 1973. Um, that wasn't so much of a thing in 1973 in the South, I can assure you. I spent time with Marshall Brock, who started Clumpy's Ice Cream, which one of the, was one of the linchpins of the revitalization of the North Shore in Chattanooga, with John Sweet, who founded Need Loves Bakery, one of the linchpins of the revitalization of the south side of Chattanooga. Covenant alums, um, your precursors, your forerunners, have started businesses and not nonprofits. They've planted churches. They've taken on the burden of leadership in corporate contexts and in their communities. Um, They've gone to the far corners of the globe. Uh, they have taken risks. And whatever considered risks you might take on, um, I want you to remember that failure um, doesn't make you a failure. Uh, it doesn't define who you are. Your identity lies in Christ. Um, we grow through the difficulties we face, the challenges we overcome, um, the failures we experience. God uses these in his kind providence um, to make us the people he wants us to be, uh, to refine and shape us uh, for service to him and service to others. So remember that failure doesn't make you a failure. Um, and remember, too, the examples that are provided for us in Scripture. Uh, the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 11 tells us, Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea, on frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Paul was not someone who shied away from risk. Or consider Jesus Christ himself uh, in Philippians 2 we're told that though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Uh, Jesus Christ was not risk averse. Um, he embraced the risk of becoming a man, of enduring sh the shame of death on a cross. Uh, and, and do not forget um, that just as he was fully God, Jesus was also fully man. Um, he would have experienced every human temptation to avoid risk, uh, to stay away from danger. Uh, but for the sake of our salvation and the renovation of the world, he took on all uh, the risks associated with a, a counter-cultural ministry uh, and a journey to the cross. So in a culture that is increasingly uncomfortable with risk, um, you here in this room can be the people who provide the initiative, the creativity, uh, the boldness to affect positive change, to serve as leaven in a world that is reeling from the effects of sin. Um, you can take some risks, some considered 
risks, not foolhardy risks. Um, and you can do that because you know and you serve the sovereign God um, of the universe who loves you so deeply that he gave his own son for you. So today, I want you to be encouraged, um, to be emboldened, um, to be willing to try some hard or uncomfortable things, to take some risks, uh, to be bold, courageous, enterprising, adventurous um, in little things, maybe in big things, and to rest in the goodness and love of your sovereign and eternal father. So as I close, let me share some encouragement from someone else who took some risks. Um, The shepherd boy turned Israelite king, uh, David, um, who if you know his story, you know that he was at risk at a number of points in his life. He wrote Psalm 56 while he was on the run from Saul and had been captured by the Philistines. And this is Psalm 56. Be gracious to me, O God, for man tramples on me. All day long an attacker oppresses me. My enemies trample on me all day long, for many attack me proudly. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? All day long they injure my cause. All their thoughts are against me for evil. They stir up strife. They lurk. They watch my steps as they have waited for my life. For their crime will they escape? In wrath cast down the peoples, O God. You have kept count of my tossings. Put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? Then my enemies will turn back in the day when I call. This I know, that God is for me. In God, whose word I praise. In the Lord, whose word I praise. In God I trust. I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? I must perform my vows to you, O God. I will render thank offerings to you. For you have delivered my soul from death. Yes, my feet from falling that I may walk before God in the light of life. Let's pray. Almighty and sovereign God, we are grateful for your love. We pray that you would help us to know that love, to feel that love, and to act boldly um, in light of your love, that we might bear witness in all that we say and do to the preeminence Jesus Christ in all things. We ask this in his name. Amen. Amen. Go in peace.